Hello, and a very warm welcome to the Excellent Executive Coaching Podcast. This program is about helping you thrive in some of the most challenging coaching situations. Our aim is to support you in bringing your coaching to the next level, whether you're new to coaching or you're already an expert professional. If you're a coach, leader, entrepreneur, leadership development professional, or a human resource manager, this show is for you. Welcome to the Excellent Executive Coaching Podcast. I'm your host, Katrina Burus, and today I'll be interviewing Dr. David Drake. So welcome, David. Thank you. And so we're going to be talking about narrative coaching as you're the expert and founder. So tell us a little bit more about narrative coaching and how do you became interested in this subject. Well, I've had a lifelong fascination with books and reading and the adventures one can go on by following the paths of people through various times and places. And I found that stories were so human and so integrated into who we are and how we came to be who we are. And I became just fascinated by the stories we tell ourselves and the stories we tell each other and the stories sometimes we get stuck in. And I found that a lot of the coaching uh, that I was exposed to early on, maybe 20 years ago, was very extroverted, very goal-oriented, very linear, very rational. And I wanted to make space for the somatic elements of who we are, the emotional experiences of who we are, the non-conscious elements of our stories. And so I began to do a lot of writing in, in the coaching literature to make space for some uh, new ways of thinking about evidence, for example, and finding a way to, in a very short time, um, help people surface the stories that they're telling themselves with more candor and more compassion for themselves, and for us as coaches to learn how to be in that process with them, and in some ways to stop trying so hard to make something happen, but actually let the story do its own work and find its way towards resolution. And so over the time, I've published about, I don't know, 50 publications by now. And I've got a book out on uh, bringing new stories to life, which sort of uh, traces the history of narrative coaching and gives people all the essential elements of, of that work. So, Drake, for our listeners that are coaches, give us a few tips of how you bring the person to speak about their narrative, and especially that it's not goal-oriented or result-oriented, but more emotional or non-conscious. Yeah. So we do a lot of experiential work with people. So we bring the story into the present moment. So we don't do a lot of analysis. We don't ask lots of questions because we don't have a belief in the need to gather lots of information. We trust that the change process the person's engaged in, it's already underway. And we're just sort of helping them notice what's happening and what they might need next. So some of the things we teach people are how to recognize thresholds, so, so like key developmental moments for people where they can step into and experience and experiment with different stories. So we, we don't set goals for later. We create experiences right now for you to try this thing that you want to explore. A lot of our work is using silence, which is a bit, again, odd for some coaches who are used to talking. But we use silence because it actually helps ground people in what's happening in the moment. It helps them to notice new things, to listen a bit differently. And so we use that as a way to create more sort of white space, if you will, or openness or spaciousness 
for things to emerge that otherwise might be shut down if we were too directive in our inquiry. So we teach people just as to be present ourselves, to sort of hold space for others, to use what I think of as radical presence to really help people come to trust us. Give us a concrete example so our listeners can uh, visualize it. So one of my clients that I mentioned in the book had been asked to step in as interim CEO for her business, was really wrestling with that idea and really wasn't very challenged by that idea. Uh, in the course of helping her describe her views about leadership and leadership, she recounted tales of older women in her family who had been pioneers. And one of the rituals in that family for young girls was to, you got invited to the, the older women's house for tea when it was sort of a coming of age for you. And she was, she remembered that for herself. She remembered that for her daughter. And then a few minutes later in the conversation, she suddenly realized, oh, it's my turn to serve tea now, isn't it? And she went from realizing that she had been a, a youngest all of her life, had no sense of identity or understanding of what it meant to be an, a leader, really. And that, but as an elder in that organization, people were looking to her to step into that role. And she then used that sort of awareness of, I need to learn how to be an elder, therefore I want to do some other things to help the organization right now, and being the interim CEO is not the right thing for me right now. So we used a piece from her own story to give her a clue about what was being asked of her in that moment in time. I see. What do you see as the biggest challenge in developing leaders at the moment? One of the biggest ones that we're working on is, I've developed material for my next book, which helps us realize that we still are trapped in this sort of metaphor of school in terms of how we develop leaders. So we send them off to big fancy programs and, and lots of books and theories. And, and in reality, there's sort of like, we look at four basic elements. We can think of it as beam. So people grow and develop when they can address issues of mindset, of environment, of behavior, and their aspiration. And so we're looking at how, what is it they're actually aspiring to do? And how do these other three elements, how are they currently constellated? What is their story about that? And how is that maybe limiting them or keeping them from seeing certain things? And so then we look at how do we create experiences for them in their own workplace to work on actual projects that help them begin to discover other ways of narrating their environment themselves and sort of how they interact with other people. And so what I find is that we, we load up all this information on leaders and then wonder why they can't act on it. So we just create smaller, simple experiments. We create smaller, intimate experiences where they can try out new things in safety while they're working on things that are important to them at work. And we find what this does is relieves all this pressure of I have to memorize all these things, I have to learn all this stuff, and just gets them down to how can I be a better human being in this moment to make better choices on behalf of the people that work for me? What are you working on these days, like specific case studies that you're working on? So a couple of things. So one is we're doing a lot of coaching for a high-tech company. There's also some consultation happening at the executive level. But we're finding that the pace at which these people work means that we're having to put together some hybrid offers that are sort of part coaching, part consulting which is to helping them facilitate real-time conversations about the future of the business, the links between strategy and structure, 
and kind of getting in the, in the middle of, of this change you're trying to make and realize that coaching by itself is empowering individuals, but who are bumping up against an environment that's not changing fast enough around them. And the consultants are helping to change the environment, but aren't tapped into the individual dynamics that are creating some of the difficult behaviors. So we're developing some new methodologies about how to help them. And then one of the other cool things we're doing right now is there's a number of companies overseas who all would like to do some of this, but don't have the bandwidth to do it all by themselves. And so we're creating a um, collaborative group of four non-competitive big companies and we'll do a joint process for 90 days together where they'll have some shared experience helping each other because they're all faced with a very similar change issue, a big one. They're trying to transform their entire company in a very difficult industry. So we're going to do some shared experiences where they can learn from each other, like I said, and then we're going to have some private individual experiences for the change teams and each company on its own so they can address more of the nuances of their particular issue. But it's really exciting because we're trying to take these models about getting away from school and we're positioning these as laboratories where they actually can, again, work on real issues while they're learning. So we find that that has a much longer, much deeper traction and much more sustainability in terms of what we accomplish with them. And then we show them how to link those together with new stories they can start telling about themselves. Oh, very interesting. So how long have you been doing this and what's the results you're getting compared to doing only coaching or only consulting? Well, like many of us, you know, I've done everything. I've done OD, I've done training, I've done coaching, I've done consulting, I've done teaching. And I found that each one had a piece of the brilliance, but missed out on other pieces. And so what we're finding is that when we have a more systemic approach, it not only helps the companies optimize their own resources, they can work more effectively together, but it also helps those resources get better. So we, because we do a lot of things to avoid consultant dependency. So we're trying to push resources into the organization itself. So they build their capabilities. But we find that what happens then is that because we're not focused on programs and activities, but we're focused on results, that companies save an enormous amount of money because they're not spending money on things that actually don't yield real results, like generic workshops or something, or sort of detached coaching. But they actually start to develop virtuous cycles where they can start to develop some of these capacities themselves. And so it allows them to take this forward on their own much sooner. And then the changes that they're making in terms of who they are and how they work together are accelerated because they're using them to solve their own problems. So again, the environment is more receptive to kind of the, the culture and the behaviors that they're trying to move towards. So you go into a group, you do some OD work in groups, mm. and sometimes you have four non-compete companies working together. Yeah. Then you also have each company work individually on their particular issues or Yes. Okay. Then you offer coaching to help the individuals to this change in the structure. Is that correct? Yeah. So sometimes it's just one company by itself. And sometimes we're doing more and more with these sort of group models because it economizes the cost and makes for a more interesting learning experience. The projects always start with basically increasing their capacity to observe what's happening right now. And then we help them self-identify from your user or client perspective or customer perspective, what do they most wish you would change about your business and how you serve them? And then we you know, sort of use a bit of design thinking and a few other methodologies in the narrative space to help them 
uh, not only identify these sort of blockages or these bottlenecks, but then in the course of deciding and working on how they might do them differently, they start to uncover skills that they would need to get better at or acquire that would help them do that. We also then teach them some basic coaching skills so they can deepen their conversations with each other. Sometimes these um, processes require some difficult exchanges. And so then they start to shift their own process as they develop themselves. And as they develop themselves, they see more and more of how they could improve the process. And so we, we will identify usually three to five specific initiatives, and we get groups of them working on these initiatives. Usually we create wikis for them so they can share all the resources together and share anecdotes about what's working or not working. And so we basically create these series of, of ongoing experiments in the company through which people evolve quite significantly while they're trying to figure out how to address the issues that matter to them. Wow, that's great. You mentioned moments of meeting, and, and ah. can you explain that a little bit further, what you mean by that, and yeah. why is it important for leadership? Yeah, so it's sort of the, it's actually work I did in a, a paper about five years ago, but it's kind of come back around, and I've had a opportunity to present this at the Harvard Coaching Conference last year. Got a just really amazing reception. It comes from a group of folks who are researchers in the attachment theory space, looking at how do parents and infants resolve moments of tension, you know, or when things are different than either of them or one or both of them had expected. And then they've now extrapolated the insights from those, what happens in those moments to any sort of relationship like a therapist and a client or a coach and a client. And so it basically sort of has four pieces. One is sort of uh, moving along, which is like just the normal conversation or the normal interaction between a parent and a child or a leader and a team member or something. And then you have these sort of now moments, which is like when something happens, which challenges the normal relationship. So it might be that you have this sweet, adorable infant, and then all of a sudden they get language and they start saying no all the time. Well, it's a sudden shock to the system for both of them. And so in those critical moments, whether you're a leader or a parent, we have to self-regulate and kind of come up with a good response. It's, it's not always easy. And if both parties can step into that now moment when things have the opportunity to evolve or improve, then you can actually create what's called moments of meeting, where you both have to change to some degree to be able to meet each other in a new way. It's like when you realize your kid's no longer a child, but actually is becoming a young adult. It's like it requires a whole different frame on parenting. Or when you are used to being very directive as a leader and now you're trying to be more empowering, it requires vulnerability and listening and things you might not have had to do before. So it's a bit of a stretch. But so for leaders, how can we get them to create more and more moments of meeting to help both parties grow, the relationship grow, and more things to happen? And then the fourth step is that when you can start to do that, you create what I call the uh, moments of being met, which ultimately I believe is the number one thing we offer clients when we coach them, is the experience of being met. And for some people, it's for the first time ever in their life. And for all of us, it's just really a welcome reprieve. And it allows us to see ourselves, trust ourselves better, learn how to be in relationship differently, 
And I find it just quite cathartic and developmental for any of us. And so what we do in our leadership programs now and in our coaching skills programs is help people recognize when there's an opportunity to shift to a higher level in a conversation, how to create those moments of meeting using all the research from neuroscience and attachment theory and narrative to get them to show up to those moments. And then we say, how can we leverage those moments so that both, the, say, the leader and the team member or the coach and the client can both evolve to show up, like I said, at a higher level to have a, a, a different conversation they would have had if they couldn't do that. Excellent. You've written quite a few books, some on this as well. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your books and which, what are you going to write next? So I've contributed to probably 10 books and different chapters and whatnot. I've written about 40 or so journal articles about this work. My first solo book, well, actually my second solo book, was The Introduction to Narrative Coaching, which was Bringing New Stories to Life, which came out about a year plus ago. Um, I'm currently at work on a second edition, so that'll be out in May. And then the next book is going to be laying out sort of all the foundational principles and theories that go into this work on narrative design, which I was describing to you in terms of how do we take this work to scale to help organizations rethink how they approach change. And so the model basically helps organizations approach this such that organizations and people can help each other grow. So it basically brings together adult development and organization development into one unified theory. And so we're going to have a whole bunch of case studies in there and basically provide, like I said, a seminal text on a very different way of looking at how to help people grow at work. And the title of that book will be? Uh, we don't know yet because we're in negotiation with the publisher because they want to call it something different than I do. So yeah, we're, okay. we're, so we're in conversation about that. Yeah. So, But hopefully, I'm guessing by uh, April or May, we should have a resolution on that and then we'll have a title. But It'll be out by the end of this year. Excellent. And David, tell us where we can, people can get in contact with you. Of course, there'll be your contact details will be in the show notes. But Thank you. So the current website is www.narrativecoaching.com. In the next three months, we're going to be migrating to a new website because we're changing the name of the business. And narrative coaching will become one of our core offers, but not our only offer. So we want to uh, make this work available to people who wouldn't come to it through the coaching channel, but would want it through other means or for other purposes. So we're doing that. But even once that happens, if you go to narrativecoaching.com, you'll be redirected to the new site. And um, we look forward to that. And on the site are lists of all the publications and resources. And we've got an online course in narrative coaching. I think we've reached about 20 different countries by now in the course over the last couple of years. And another one starting the end of February, information on the website about the online course. The online course, what's it called? Uh, it's basically an introduction to narrative coaching, and we've got it as a sort of a self-paced collaborative course. It'll be the first section on the website. Uh, you can get information about that. It's nine modules across a couple of months. It's a pretty reasonable price. And then we've got two joint ventures we're building towards the end of the year that will help bring the narrative coaching course to a much larger scale. But for now, these are really nice classes because they're relatively small and intimate. And it gives people a chance to connect with other people around the world who do this work and want to um, buddy up and practice and learn more about where narrative coaching came from and why it's different and how it might be helpful to deepen their practice. Great, David. Thank you so very much for sharing your 
your expertise and thoughts. And I encourage everyone to check out your books and read them. Well, thank you, Katrina. I appreciate it very much. Thank you, David. Take care. All right, you too. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Excellent Executive Coaching Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the program. You can subscribe to all future podcasts at excellentexecutivecoaching.com and sign up for monthly newsletters featuring all the latest tips and techniques to bring your coaching to the next level. Join us again soon. And until then, bye for now.